Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome back to The Whole View. I am excited because it's one of those selfish shows. (laughs) (laughs) You may have remembered if you listened to the prior podcast that I mentioned how great I feel when I eat some oats. Now I say some oats because it's not like I'm having them at every meal. You're not eating all the oats. And I have found particular high quality oats. So I'm going to use a little asterisk there and then come back to it, um, are what don't just okay with me, but like I feel good and I feel sustained and I have healthy digestion and like all that kind of stuff. That's how I'm defining good. Um, And so for me, it was the magic of finding not just gluten-free oats, but glyphosate-free oats. And Mm. I don't know that that is something that everybody needs or whatever. I think if you can find it, great. I don't want to stress everybody out um, about what you may or may not have been eating. It's the same kind of thing with rice, right? Like there's this idyllic version of it. And then there's like the, you know, don't stress yourself out, do the best you can until you can do better kind of thing. But that's personally been my approach. And what I thought was interesting, Sarah, is you were like, hmm, Let's maybe dive into this a little <laughs> bit more instead of just having a soundbite. And then um, we do have questions around this um, topic because for years we talked about grains as being something that was problematic for digestion and proper absorption of nutrients and gut health and things like that. And so I do think it's a great thing to kind of revisit in general, just as a reminder about how we approach food and with the scientific mindset and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think uh, to me, this is a really interesting topic, given that both of our health journeys uh, included a sort of path through the paleo diet, right? And sort of to the other side where you and I are both um, very open to experimenting with foods that we kind of we kind of maligned for a long time. And now we're like, no, I'm going to actually, I'm going to try this. And um, for me, of course, that, that journey includes really sort of revisiting the science on these foods and trying to uh, get away from this idea of, um, first of all, grouping, right? So, so like, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but with foods, right? So if one food in this food family is overall not great for people, am I going to then avoid everything in this food family versus like really just let's look at the pros and cons of this individual food. Let's look at how it could fit into a overall healthy diet, right? So rather than looking at this one food as being good or bad, can we look at the overall nutritional quality of the diet and see if there's room for this food in that diet? And then really help empower people to experiment with foods. And so we have a, like a really awesome question um, from a listener named Anna, Anna or Anna, it could be Anna. Um, and I'm, I'm really, I'm excited to dig in because I think she's set up 
this topic just perfectly. We're going to end up talking about a brand that we truly love and use ourselves. And I purchased mine from Thrive Market. I don't know, Sarah, is that where you get yours I, from as well? Uh, so I am a Thrive Market junkie, I think is the appropriate <laughs> term. And I... I don't think I real I didn't realize that they they carry that brand. So I'm gonna have to add it to my my regular my aisle as as Thrive Market calls it online. So once you've purchased something, there's like a there's a spot where you can just go and look at things that you've purchased before and keep it really simple. Like I have certain like regular products that I get every single time I order from them, which is almost I really should just do subscribe and save. They have that too. They're they I have recently, all the cool things. I recently signed up, I think like three months ago for subscribe and save because there's um items that we use over and over again that are easiest and most affordable from there to just be delivered to mm -hmm. my doorstep. And um the gluten-free glyphosate free oats um that are also sprouted from there there's one degree and then they also have um kind of their own branded stuff as well um so we'll put a link in the show notes for you because they happen to be doing kind of like a summer thing right now if you're listening to this show um in June then it's $20 off your first order of 49 plus you get a free purchase when you join and i will say that um like in our house, sometimes we like stop using one account and start using another account in order to jump in on some <gasps> other deals. Um, you know, Sneaky. like Matt has mm -hmm. an account and I have an account. So just a little, little elbow. I'm <laughs> giving you one of those <laughs> like social distance high fives wink, and wink, a wink, wink nudge, right nudge. now. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wanted to mention that because, um, I think sometimes it feels overwhelming when you hear something as, as bougie as like, you know, sprouted, glyphosate-free, gluten-free oats, but it's it's truly accessible. I promise you can get it from your local store. You can get it from Thrive Market, and um, Sarah and I both shop and love there. So I wanted to mention before we move on. Sweet. So um, Anna knows how to get her question on the podcast because this is how her question starts. First off, I adore you both. I feel you are my best friends and just don't know it yet. I want to eat raw heads of lettuce. I've done this for years and get angry about poorly conducted research with Sarah and go lift heavy weights while discussing clean beauty with Stacy. I can't get enough of you guys. I feel like she knows us so well. I know. I know. <laughs> I totally feel it. So my question is related to oats. Because my diet has been restrictive for so long while I've tried to heal my digestive system after being diagnosed with celiac three years ago, I've now developed anaphylactic responses to a lot of paleo foods. I was really happy this month when I was successfully able to reintroduce rice and oats, finding them to actually feel calming on my stomach. Because my list of paleo foods that I am reacting to keeps growing longer, the more I rely on them, I am finding myself turning to these other foods like legumes, rice, and oats on a daily basis in order to simply get enough food in. While I seem to tolerate it, it makes me nervous that I may be doing long-term damage. I know you've uh, discussed briefly how rice and some beans are actually not bad for the gut, but that was still always with the caveat of them being eaten occasionally, and I don't think I've heard you discuss oats much at all. Could you perhaps address the effect of gluten-free oats on the microbiome, as well as the overarching effects of a diet that includes a lot of these non-paleo foods, but in the context of an otherwise veggie and fruit-rich diet with only healthy fats, high-quality meat, and organ meats, and no refined sugars? Thank you. I love you both, and I am so thankful for all you do. Anna. Okay, so first of all, I have so many feels with this question. At first, I was taken on this journey of like, 
my own personal guilt of feeding into the dogma that is the glorification of paleo foods and the demon nication demonification demonization that's the one I, <laughs> um, although i think demonification should be a new word that we use <laughs> all the time <laughs> of um non and i'm using quotation marks right like paleo foods and i say quotation marks because who you ask what a paleo food is will vary from person to person to person anyway um and so i'm just i'm i'm a little mortified that this poor woman Anna, I, I want to give you a hug. I don't even hug people and just be like, you're having anaphylactic reactions and digestive distress from these foods. Like those aren't the foods for you. And it's okay to let them go. And I just, oh, I'm so glad that we've moved into this and embraced this idea of the whole view of really empowering people with the information that they need to make the decisions that are best for them, rooted in science, um, whether that's, you know, from scientific literature about, you know, a myriad of things, including gut health and, and all the different things that we talked about, nutrient density, blah, blah, blah. But also the freedom to just know that if something feels right to you, then, and, and you feel good in your own skin, like there is something magical to that that I, I really want to empower everybody to do kind of what Anna's doing, which is leaning into the things that help her feel good. Because um, it's not like she's saying the only things that feel good are chicken nuggets and mac and cheese, right? Like she's talking about, <laughs> like, um, clearly she's putting thought into how to nourish her body. And that's what we want everybody to do. So I don't know. I don't know how you felt about that. But part of me was like on that, like, oh, and then I was like, you know what? No, she's learning. Look at her applying all these things and all these words. And Anna, you're so great. High five. But also, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know. And I, I agree. And it's one of the reasons why I really kind of wanted to lean in on this is because I think you and I both for many years, um, even if we you know, stay, we were always grounded in the science, but we also, I think, were so bought into the paleo framework that there were certain foods that we didn't really critically evaluate, right? We we just kind of lumped them in, and oats are one of them, right? Lump it in with with wheat and other grains, and um, and I think that it's really, to me, it's really empowering to be sort of through this other side of this journey where I'm not intimidated by diet dogma or the people who are going to be, you know, waving their fists in the air and saying, well, how dare you call yourself paleo? Um, and instead I'm, I'm like, I want to lean into like, let's just look at this food and decide based on science, you know, what are the pros? What are the cons? Who is this going to work for? Who might it not work for? What kind of quality, um, might make a difference and then give Anna the tools to really like experiment and, and figure it out. And I think that, um, the, the, do you remember Stacy? I can't remember what book tour we were on. We had dinner, I think it was in Philadelphia and the waitress basically said something like, this was so many years ago. Um, oh yeah, I, I used to be paleo, but now I eat rice sometimes. And I remember even at the time really having a, a hard time with the idea that 
the paleo diet was constructed so rigidly that even though there was this concept of an 80-20 rule always, right, there was always sort of these gray area foods that um, this woman did not feel entitled to the term paleo because she sometimes ate a food that even actually a lot more people who identify as following a paleo diet eat now compared to back then. But it still wasn't that unusual of a food to to eat on occasion because of how, you know, it's an easily digested, slow-burning carbohydrate. It can be really helpful for athletes to have those kinds of foods in their diet. And I, I just kind of wanted to, as we're entering into this conversation about oats and acknowledging that we're trying to, to take a step away from a dogmatic framework when it comes to nutrition, I also want to let Anna know that if she still identifies with the term paleo diet, that there's also nothing wrong with that. I think I'm at a point now where I feel like the term that I best resonate with is Nutrivore, but I also recognize that my diet looks a lot now, still looks a lot like it did when I would have called my diet the paleo diet. So it's, I think it's okay to take steps kind of beyond in our health journey and still still identify with that term. And I think it's okay to also move on if that's what, you know, Anna wants to do. I would say it's also okay if we just don't want to put labels on things and we just eat what we find works for us at that time, because Mm -hmm. what works today might not work two years from now either. And it sounds like Anna's definition might simply be gluten-free because she's celiac. And like beyond that, we just, we make choices period. There's no like good, bad. There's no, you know what I mean? There's all this stuff. So I think that, um, we're the idea of wanting a name for something that defines us, whether it's food or not is inherent to the human psyche. And I love the concept of Nutrivore because it's focusing on nutrients. It's not focusing on, um, demonizing or creating dogma or all of that kind of stuff. Rather, it's it's focusing on like, hey, let's make sure that we're giving ourselves nutrients. <laughs> like that's the that's the point, right? Um, for sure. But for me, I I think the more I am immersed in this education on the hold that diet culture has on us, the more I want to like askew all of these diets and I I'm using the like proper term diet not just referring to how we eat right but the the labeling because I feel like it just moves into this category of of selling things and um capitalizing on something that really is all rooted in diet culture and so I I love that we're going to answer on this question from the perspective of health benefits of oats and why some people do or why some people wouldn't do well with oats, but not, we're not here to tell you like, is it good? Is it bad? Is it part of a label? Is it not part of a label? Or do you know what I mean? I just, it's like, make the choice to eat the foods that you want to eat either because they fulfill you emotionally or they fulfill you in Anna's case, um, actually satiating from the dietary limitations that she has and she feels feels good eating them and I 
I love that that's kind of where we're going with food philosophy because I, I think it's, it's a powerful one. So that said, what are the health benefits of oats other than just honestly, I don't need, I, I don't even know. I've, I know they have fiber. So maybe, maybe you could help me with some other knowledge. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, well, I guess big picture, the most um, important sort of like top line things to know about oats is that they have been very well studied for at least 30 years. And they have some really like well-established health benefits, mostly associated with cardiovascular disease, especially especially, especially coronary heart disease, uh, diabetes, Um, blood pressure, so risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And um, they've also been shown to have a really high satiety index and be very, very helpful for weight management because they're, you know, they're filling and they're slow digesting and they keep you full for a long time. And it's, it's actually like, there's a huge body of scientific literature showing these benefits. They're mostly attributed to the fact that they have, it's not just that oats are high fiber, it's that they have a very special type of soluble fiber that has a lot of functional properties. So it has a bunch of health benefits. But before we kind of like dive into all of those benefits of the beta-glucan fiber in oats, I think it's kind of important to also address why some people don't do well with oats. And traditionally in the paleo community, we sort of blame uh, the fact that oats are a grain and they contain a prolamin type lectin called avenin. And that's the same like chemical class as gluten. And even early research into celiac disease put oats into the same like category as wheat because of the similarity between avenin and gluten. So even, you know, if you look at the research, even up to a few years ago, oats were sort of on this list of, you know, celiacs shouldn't eat this food because of this very similar protein. But it's actually really interesting because when you start to dive into the details, you start to see some really distinct differences. So gluten, we know the effects of it really well. And part of that is because it's not very compatible with our digestive enzymes. So it is broken up into really predictable peptides. And those peptides have biological activity, including sort of being inflammatory and increasing intestinal permeability. And there's even studies showing that they get into the body and bind with receptors in the liver and in adipocytes, which are fat cells, and actually may be driving signals that are um, contributing to weight gain and, and obesity as a you know reaction to gluten. And so oats are getting sort of lumped in with, with wheat as being problematic because of the similarity, but there's some really key differences between avenin and gluten. So one of the key differences is just a concentration factor. So avenins are about 10 to 15% of total protein. 
in oats compared to gluten being 80 to 85% of the total protein in wheat. But also there have been a bunch of studies showing that avenins don't seem to trigger the same type of immune responses, even in um, people with celiac disease. And it turns out that you know, one of the problems with gluten is that it's not very compatible with our digestive enzymes. And so it's broken apart into these biological molecules. But avenin is actually very sensitive to digestion. It is digested nearly completely. And our main protein digesting enzymes, pepsin, trypsin, and chymotrypsin, are all able to sort of break it apart. And that means that it's not producing these sort of half-digested proteins that are biologically active molecules. And there have been some studies that have shown that avenin in a couple of cultivars of, of oats have a low frequency of cross-reactivity with gluten. But studies that have, have, even in people with celiac, have shown that this appears to be only an issue for a very small minority of people. So unlike sort of gluten, where we look at something like 55% of the population having genes that predispose us to gluten sensitivity, that doesn't seem to be the case with oats. So the the big challenge of like why, so why are oats problematic for so many people? It appears to be purely gluten contamination. So the I did not realize this, Stacey, that um, oats can be labeled as the like, you know, the top quality number one oats allows for the presence of up to 2% foreign material, which is almost always wheat and barley because they're processed on the same equipment, they're grown in the same fields on rotation. So the contamination of oats with wheat and barley, which both contain gluten, is extremely high. Like so high, when you buy regular, not labeled gluten-free oats, 2% of that might not be oats. So it looks like, you know, studies show that true, like either gluten cross uh, reactivity that's binding with oats or a true oat sensitivity is a fairly low frequency event. And for most people, the problem that they're having is actually the fact that oats generally are not a very clean crop. I will say that I have noticed in the last probably two or three years that the gluten-free label on oat products are a lot easier to find. Mm -hmm. um, like years ago, I don't ever remember saying, well, I mean, frankly, there wasn't like gluten-free much of anything years and years That's ago. That's true. Depends on how old we're calling ourselves. But I mean, even before just two years, not 10 years, um, I don't, I don't remember seeing as much, but now even like name brand cereals have the gluten-free label. I think it's worth mentioning just as a reminder for people, if you really are celiac, there is um, like a threshold of how much gluten is allowed for gluten-free products. And I find that, like I said, for me, when I feel good on something, I am buying a specific brand. Um, 
this is not sponsored by anyone, but I'll give an example. Um, there's a brand called One Degree. and That's my uh, favorite. Yes. And then Thrive Market is actually, I think they might be using those same brand. Um, you know what I mean? How they like mm-hmm. use the same companies. Um, they make cereals that are like the One Degree cereals. So One Degree makes not just the oats, but they also make like oat cereals um, that are O's. <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, um, <laughs> that are made they're with like, O's. they're oat wonder O's. That, that make me feel cheery. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and not at all like you might have been cross-contaminated with something. Um, no, but I, so anyway, those I do well with, but I have tried the name brand gluten-free products, especially with kiddo here. Um, we tried to uh, bring about foods of their childhood memories, just like we try to do with our own children. And those include a lot of boxed foods. And so we have tried to find things that fit some standards and those, they don't, they don't make me feel the same kind of good, even though they're made with oats and even though they're, they have a gluten-free label. Now it might just be because, um, you know, a higher sugar content or what, you know what I mean? There's a myriad of things, but I'll give that example that, those two particular ones or brands are the ones that I lean on most because the one degree is glyphosate free and the sprouted and sprouted, which Mm -hmm. Matt requests, by the way, a um, sprouted show. He says we've never done one before other than the um, nut one. So there you go. Add it to our list. (laughs) But um, I, I think we've mentioned it, you know, like why sprouting is helpful for digestion, but we haven't done like a deep dive into it. So anyway, I wanted to to share that as an example that, um, yes, the the regular name brand oat products will have that um, allowance for gluten. But even if they have the gluten-free label, um, that certification process in and of itself does have a threshold for allowance that might be too high for some people who are very sensitive. It's 20 parts per million, um, which I only know because it's in my notes later on. Um, But um, there are a number of um, celiac disease researchers and experts who believe that's probably about four times too high for celiac disease. So you can imagine something getting that gluten-free label because it's just under 20 parts per million, but that's actually too much gluten for somebody with celiac or even a wheat allergy could um, potentially still have a reaction to that product. So that's one of the, you know, labeling uh, conundrums because it's probably, we probably need it to be more like five parts per million to actually be safe for people with celiac. And there's lots of really good resources online. If you do have celiac where people sort of share um, their experience with gluten-free labeled products and whether or not that caused uh, symptoms. And so there, there are lots of good sort of message boards and, um, volunteer sort of agencies that are trying to keep track so that you can track down whether or not a product that's labeled as gluten-free really is low enough gluten to be, to be safe. Cool. So what about how, if it's good for you, is that worth it? Is that, you know, what's, what's this, what's the score? (laughs) What's What's the the nutrient score? score? So, um, I, again, I haven't talked about this very much on, on the podcast, but, um, one of the things that I am developing as I'm building Nutrivore 
is a way of sort of quantifying the nutrient density of foods and trying to do it in as unbiased a manner as possible and really just represent the nutrients per calorie in a food, which is what nutrient density is. And oats, in terms of grains, are one of the best. Um, you know, the only the only grains that actually score higher are corn and buckwheat. Um, but in terms of like all foods, if you look at you know vegetables or fruit or even legumes, I mean, all grains are kind of meh in terms of nutrient density. Um, so a 100 gram serving, it's about two thirds of a cup of oats. It has a moderate glycemic load of 37. That means it's a pretty slow burning carbohydrate, but it has fairly high calories, 389 calories. Um, for those calories, you get a whopping huge amount of manganese, like 246% of the daily value. You get 40 to 50% of the daily value for vitamin B1 and magnesium and phosphorus, and you get 20 to 30% of the daily value of iron, copper, and zinc. So you are getting a lot of nutrition. It's just that they're pretty energy-dense food. So when you look at nutrition per calorie, it overall is sort of underwhelming. It's not too shabby. It's not awesome. Um, what that really means in practice is oats, you know, basically um, shouldn't be a foundation. I use the word should. Oats are not the best choice for a foundational food, right? So a food that your entire meal is sort of built around. But in the context of, you know, what Anna's talking about, a diet that includes lots of fruits and vegetables and high quality meat, including snout to tail, like in the context of that type of diet, oats absolutely can fit in and still, you know, provide some valuable nutrition and um, not lower the quality of the entire diet to a point where we're not meeting nutritional needs. So um, provided, right, it's not a meal completely built around oats, or even if it is right porridge for breakfast, that the rest of the diet uh, diet of that day is sort of abundant in these much more nutrient dense foods. That overall is going to be, you know, still a nutrivore diet. I think what's interesting for me, or at least the approach that I uh, take or think about when I'm adding let's just say grains back to my diet. Legumes and corn do not work for me, but that that's me personally, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. that's as part of the journey is figuring out what works for individuals. So for example, if I'm adding rice or oats to my plate, um, or oh, okay, something even, not even a grain, like a cassava noodle, right? Yeah. It's still, it's still a um, vegetable. I'm, like using quotation marks because I have a hard time believing that. But um, it is, you know, it is a AIP friendly starch. And um, I don't like look at my plate and just put some like ground meat in there and call that a meal, right? Like I will say, yeah. okay, we need to add a whole bunch of vegetables either into the noodles or um, have a salad on the side or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I think of how I eat oats, like if I'm eating a bowl of that cereal, which is not very common, but let I have eaten the cereal, I really enjoy it with fruit in it. And that's another way for me to like, you know, I'll put a banana or I'll put blueberries or whatever into the cereal itself. Um, and also make sure that I usually have like a hard boiled egg or something else for protein. Um, or if I'm um, having, if I'm making like actual oatmeal, one of my favorite 
ways to do it is with canned pumpkin um, or if you have like frozen you know from <laughs> ye last year in your freezer because right now it's <laughs> summertime so we probably don't yep. have fresh pumpkin around but I usually you know bake a bunch and then I freeze it or you know whatever it is mm-hmm. but I, I mix in um, mashed pumpkin to the oats and then I'll put like cranberries or raisins or different kinds of things in with it and I, you know for me that's because I think of the oats as being the fiber right like you've heard me talk before about my the way I categorize food in my brain is fiber protein and fats. Um, And I try not to use the word carb because it's very triggering for me. And so I'm like, okay, I know that the oats are a really great fiber source for me and I feel good on it. Like where am I getting my protein and where am I getting my fruits and vegetables? Um, And I think that kind of delivers on this idea of it not being a nutrient dense food. Like I never would have thought, I would have been shocked if you told me that oats is a nutrient dense food, but that's not what most of us are eating it for. We're eating it to kind of fill in. And to Anna's point, the question is, you know, how much is too much, I think, is really the question. And that's not for us to decide. That's an individual. We we can't presume to know, you know, people's health needs. Um, we're not medical professionals. But I think the point here is, you know, you can't just sit down and eat oats only. You have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, you have a lot of other nutrient holes that you need to fill. For sure. And I think that the way that you're thinking about oats is 100% on point because it is a very dense source of fiber. So that same 100 gram serving that delivers like a huge amount of manganese and a few other vitamins and minerals, but not really a ton of like essential vitamins and minerals per calorie actually contains almost half of your daily value of fiber. It's like 10.6 grams in that 100 gram serving. And that fiber is also not fiber that's easy to get from other foods. It's a specific type of fiber called mixed linkage beta-glucan. And oats contain like 3 to 7% by weight, this particular type of beneficial fiber called beta-glutin. I said beta-glutin, didn't I? Beta-glucan, it's a different (laughs) word. Let's make sure we're abundantly clear on that one. And beta-glucans, I'm now going to be super like hyper aware every time I say that word that I'm not mispronouncing it, um, are like gut microbiome magic. So they are very, very important for bifidobacterium and lactobacillus, our like best established probiotic bacteria. Um, And the beta-glucans in oats are better than the beta-glucans in other grains. So there was one study that basically uh, did either an oat-supplemented diet, a barley-supplemented diet, or a wheat-supplemented diet, and normalized for the amount of beta-glucan fiber and found that the bifidobacterium levels were highest with the oats. Um, so it's it's not even just that it has this high you know, concentration of beta-glucans. It's like also the best beta-glucans. And it looks like all of the functional properties of oats um, that are so linked with health benefits are because of this type of fiber. Um, the only other food that really has this type of fiber in high concentrations is mushrooms. And we're still getting so much more from oats. It's one of the reasons why oats really stands apart from all other grains because of this particular type of fiber. So it's been shown to contribute to the maintenance of 
normal blood cholesterol levels. And it, it does this um, by um, binding to bile acids in the digestive tract and stopping. So bile, bile acids are a cholesterol-based molecule and stops them from being reabsorbed. Um, so it breaks uh, a type of sort of recycling that the, the body normally has called enterohepatic recirculation um, and increases basically the the excretion of cholesterol by stopping as much bile acids from being recycled as normal. Um, and so it's really, really effective at doing that. And that also may aid in some other types of detoxification. So we think about fiber types that are really important for detoxification are those that bind up toxins in the GI tract and um, allow and sort of fa facilitate their elimination instead of reabsorption. Um, there have been studies wait, wait, showing wait. we need to we need to pause on that because you know how I feel about toxins. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I love this. Um, I love this image, and I want to make I want to make sure I fully you, understand wait, wait. it. Do you love the image of poop being full of toxins because you eat the right kinds of fiber? Yeah, I I I appreciate you bringing the word poop into the conversation. It needed it needed to be here. <sighs> it's been a while since I've you know. <laughs> gotten super uncomfortable so thanks for that um welcome no so I I mentioned early on and I think a lot of people would agree that one of the reasons that I feel great with oats is because I digest them very well and so all of this makes a lot of sense to me like all of it I'm like mm -hmm, check the box check the box mm -hmm, great 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 um especially because I have a difficult time with breakfast because I don't have a gallbladder right we've talked about this endless times but what I didn't kind of get that foods do and it makes sense now that you're explaining it to me but it's one of those aha moments for me is that um not just is the liver filtering and doing all that kinds of stuff but certain kinds of foods and the fibers that they are would kind of act like a magnet to those toxins is what mm -hmm. it's sounding like right and that yes. they're kind of attracting them and pulling them out of your body in ways other than some of the other ways that we've talked about on the show like sweating or um your lymph lymphatic system and different kind you know what I mean like I love this idea that your body has so many ways to get rid of toxins and poop makes sense it's you know you're getting rid of stuff but I hadn't really thought about food being um a way to do that so I just I wanted to kind of like emphasize something that you said which was a little light bulb moment for me um uh, I I'm so excited to have contributed to a light bulb moment. <laughs> You're um, like, Stacey, I'm gonna... How many times have we talked about the microbiome? No, I get that. I'm no, not saying that I was different than the microbiome. Yeah, totally, this exactly. is a different. This is a different mechanism. And actually, I'm gonna expand on this um, on this idea of um, fi certain fiber types binding with fat soluble toxins in in the GI tract, and that's because so the liver when it is detoxifying, it kind of has depending on what it's detoxifying, there's sort of two, two different pathways to excretion. So water-soluble sort of end products basically go to the kidneys and then get peed out. Um, and then fat-soluble detoxification products end up going to the gallbladder so that when we eat, it is um, secreted as that bolus when we eat into the small intestine. And those are the, the particular sort of fat-soluble sort of toxic metabolites from the liver, the liver's trying to get rid of these things, can be reabsorbed if we eat a low fiber diet. So those are the ones in particular that are binding with 
these special types of fiber that are really good at binding sort of fat-based molecules and helping to eliminate them. But this also extends to hormone excess. So in our enterohepatic recirculation, estrogen, for example, also goes through this recirculation. So it's um, kind of getting eliminated and then reabsorbed. And so uh, a high fiber diet with especially these types of fiber types in them can also be really helpful for uh, hormone regulation in addition to detoxification. And that also helps with the picture that I've been painted so many times of a low fat diet is better for the gallbladder when really the answer, it sounds like I wish somebody would have explained to me, is a high quality fiber. (laughs) would have Mm -hmm. been helpful. And also why people who don't have a gallbladder anymore are more likely to have liver issues because you don't have that additional support um, to kind of offset. So all of this is making so much sense to me, full picture. And I appreciate this little bullet on pages of notes as being something I'm like, oh, I really get this one and I like (laughs) it. Um, sweet. So other great things that beta-glucans do, um, in part, um, they're very good at helping to regulate bowel movements by increasing fecal bulk, which actually makes bowel movements easier to pass. Uh, so that is a great thing because we started talking about poop, we might as well just go all in. Um, and then the other thing that it's been shown is that it can help to, um, regulate blood sugar levels. So because of, this very high fiber concentration, the uh, starchy carbohydrates in oats uh, are absorbed very, very slowly into the bloodstream. And so because of that, it's helping to regulate blood sugar levels, even if those oats are sort of part of a full meal and not the, the dominant part of the meal. And that has been shown to basically be really a really helpful slow-burning carbohydrate source for diabetics, for metabolic syndrome, for cardiovascular disease risk because of its sort of dual impact on helping to regulate blood sugar levels as well as helping to reduce uh, cholesterol. Cool. So uh, what else in terms of, you know, we've talked about the fiber um, and all of that kind of stuff. I'm wondering, like, what else is in oats? Is there... I'm assuming not very much um, and a non-irritating type. But for example, a protein is often what people would have a reaction to, like a, mm-hmm. an allergic reaction. So does it have a protein and is it um, an allergen? I haven't seen it listed in like the top allergens. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, oat allergy is certainly possible, but it's not a very common allergy. And this is so this is really interesting. We did a show, um, we'll have to pull the number because I, I don't remember it offhand, about basically plant protein not being super digestible, um, generally not being a complete protein and sort of like, you know, plant foods are great. Obviously, we super endorse eating all the veggies all the time, but generally we don't think of them as a protein source. But oat protein is about 90% digestible. So if you compare that to something like beef, which is 95%, like uh, something like collagen or egg, which would be like 98, 99%. Like that's a really high digestibility protein. And oats are about 15 to 20% protein by weight. Um, It's mostly a type of protein called globulins, um, which also may be doing some, actually have some beneficial biological activity that are helping to like reduce inflammation, for example. So there's this whole, like it's, it really, oats really do kind of, again, 
sort of they're in their a class of their own. Like we really need to stop thinking of them of, of as a grain and just think of them as oats, like a special a special family just for oats because um, they're so fantastic. Um, the starch is a hundred percent digestible. Um, it is, um, and it's slow burning because of the high amount of fiber. Um, it also has some, some fats in it. So it's about, um, 7% fats. Um, but some varieties, it sort of depends on the variety can be up to about 18%. And one of the most dominant fats is oleic acid. So generally oats don't have a very favorable omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratio. However, they do have oleic acid, which is this heart-healthy monounsaturated fat. Um, and so that can be really helpful as well. One of the things that I thought was really interesting as I was sort of pulling together research for this is that um, oats also sort of naturally include enzymes, um, including lipases, which help to break down fats. But because that can cause oats to go rancid in storage, they're typically subjected to this high temperature treatment for conventional oats, um, which is called kilning, um, as in like a pottery kiln, um, but it would be an oat kiln. So not as not as fun, obviously, as pottery. And, um, and that actually helps to dramatically increase the storage life. But it's also why sprouting oats at home can be so tough because it's really hard to buy whole oat groats that are unkilned. So that's, again, why um, finding a company like One Degree that sprouts oats before you buy them can be so helpful. And is also gluten-free. Um, I, I'm assuming that they're not, uh, cross equipmenting. Um, that's, that's a wrong term. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, wow, I mean, I'm killing it today. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, but also, um, the fact that the oats are glyphosate free and are sprouted, like I, I haven't seen any other brand, maybe it's out there, but I haven't seen any other brand um, like that. And it, it truly does make a difference for, sure. for me, like in, in how my body reacts to it. It's actually so. the only type of oats that I can eat without getting a stomach ache. So if I eat just regular gluten-free oats, um, if it's more than, you know, a, a tight, like a small amount, I, I'll get a stomach ache and the sprouted glyphosate free oats from one degree are the only kind that I can kind of eat on a daily basis and not have any kind of symptoms as a result I know that it um, sounds like it's turning into a giant commercial but it's it's really not it's just these these are the brands that we love that we share with you whether it's sponsored or not and I will say they have you have you tried their box cereals have the girls tried their box cereals so funnily enough I bought some the last time I was in the store but they're hidden at the back of the pantry <laughs> for a special treat that has not yet occurred so um because that's the type of thing that we would I don't know you know when like there's a really bad day going around and you pull out the special box and you like go, here's a fun snack. And everyone goes, yay, my day's not bad anymore. It's great. <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of what we're waiting for. Um, They're but great I have to tried... travel with too. Cause we yeah. can take like a box of pantry almond milk and cereal. And like, if you get a hotel that just has a mini fridge or we have a cooler that plugs into the car, like it's nice to know that we have an option on the road and we don't have to buy 
meals at every place like camping it would be great for different things like that and so I just wanted to say like it's not just like the oats themselves which I personally love to make like stovetop oatmeal it's very comforting to me to like see it come together and then to eat I it. like their steel cut oats and and making like steel cut oats in the instant pot that's oh. my my favorite because it's like hands off you just put in mm. uh, yeah, it's like two cups I don't of know, oats, there's something five about cups of like water. Stirring oats with a wooden spoon and seeing it thicken that is like, it's like calming for me. I don't know. But it's like 25 minutes with still cut oats. It's 25 <laughs> minutes of calming that I don't need. But you don't need to stir it the whole time. Anyway, <laughs> I wanted to mention that they do sell other products with those high quality oats. So um, Also, we'll they're put... a Canadian company. I'm just throwing that out oh, there. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, Canada. We'll put links in the show notes. I've found them on Thrive. I found them on Amazon. I found them in Costco. Like My Whole Foods carries them. My Little yeah. Sprouts carries them. So, yeah. um, Anyway. Okay. Let's talk about Sprouted, though. Let's, Matt, this is not the whole Sprouted show that, I know <laughs> that you want us to do. But I do think it's important to kind of talk about, since we've both mentioned that this particular high quality sprouted oats is what works the best for us. Um, I think it's sort of helpful to kind of talk about what happens in sprouting. So what sprouting basically means is the seed is trying to turn itself into a plant. And with oats, that's really hard to do in your home, right? With um, legumes, right? Dried bean type legumes, it's a little bit easier. You kind of soak them for 24 hours, depending on the size of the beans. You can put them in a sprouted jar, sprouting jar. And as soon as you start to see little signs of life, right, then you know that a lot of enzymatic activity has happened um, that starts to convert basically things that we traditionally think of as anti-nutrients and liberates a lot of um, minerals, but it also starts forming um, more vitamins. And it's because the seed is basically going through all of the biochemistry to become a plant. And so functionally what we see, not with nuts, as we've covered on the show before, but with grains and legumes, we see a higher availability of minerals, especially phosphorus, potassium, magnesium, calcium, and zinc. Um, we see higher levels of a lot of B vitamins. Um, it can even shift sort of the amount of protein. You can see a shift in the type of um, starches and fiber types because those are storage molecules. And generally what you see is an increase, although sometimes it's you know not super dramatic, but especially for minerals, you see an increase in all of the minerals that are typically bound up with phytic acid through sprouting and a complete reduction in phytates. Um, and generally, you know, so you're increasing the digestibility by basically creating all of this um, biochemistry and enzymatic machinery that is starting to break down a lot of storage molecules in the seed in order to facilitate the growth of the sprout. And then you're also seeing this reduction in things that are more difficult to digest. And what's really fascinating to me about oats is it's not just that it's an increase in right, calcium, magnesium, potassium, phosphorus. There's a small increase in iron. Um, there's a slight increase in copper. There's an increase in some B vitamins, especially vitamin B2. But there's also a pretty dramatic increase in GABA, which is a neurotransmitter 
um, that is very calming. And I think this is one of the reasons why oats are such a, a comfort food. But when you sprout oats, the amount of GABA basically increases by like four to five times. And then the other thing that happens when you sprout oats is the amount of polyphenols uh, goes up by about two and a half times. So you've got these other functional compounds that are being concentrated in the sprouting. That is probably why, at, at least I like. I think this is why I've noticed that I super tolerate sprouted oats. Again, it could be also the gluten-free status. It could also be the glyphosate freeness. Like there's other things going on with these high quality oats than just the sprouting. But it really is a good argument for searching for sprouted oats, if at all possible. When you said that it contained GABA, all mm-hmm. I could think about was the Hulk. And I was like, oh, that's not calming. <laughs> but I, I think it's oh, a different that's kind of... <laughs> ga- isn't the Hulk gamma? I think so. I think it's gamma rays it that just... activated the yeah. super soldier serum. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just no, I think I'm pretty sure where, it's gamma rays. Where my mind was. Yeah. Um, excellent. Uh, it's definitely, definitely in a different place than mine, but now I'm there too. So we're, we can just live in MCU meets oats. We need to come up with like a I great. I bet the Hulk eats oats. Let's say a hundred percent. sure. I'm standing by that. Yeah. The giant bull too. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> moving on from my distractions, um, <laughs> I guess maybe one of the things that we could do is talk about, um, the different kinds of mm-hmm. oats. I know you said steel cut, um, I'll, I'll confess while we have steel cut oats, I often use, you know, rolled oats. Um, I don't even think that you can make like a quick oat from one degree. I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think like that one degree has quick oats. So um, the difference between so rolled oats are literally like roll, they they go through this like machine that rolls them flat, um, and quick oats are then chopped so they're an even smaller flake, and that makes them sort of faster to soften into porridge, right, or hot oatmeal cereal. Um, and so I don't think that one degree does a quick oats. I think they only have what would be considered either thick rolled oats or old fashioned rolled oats. But it's really interesting. I'm glad you asked because there are studies basically showing that the thick oat flakes, um, and it has to do with basically how easy it is to digest the like pre-chopped up oat flakes. Um, Oats are generally not something that you're doing a ton of chewing of, um, because they're already really small and sort of easy to easy to swallow. So the size of the oat flake actually makes a functional difference to the gut microbiome. And the thicker oat flakes um, basically uh, seem to increase bifidobacterium even more and increase the amount of butyrate, which is a short chain fatty acid that's super beneficial that are sort of an end production of bifidobacterium metabolism increases butyrate like two and a half times more than thin oats. And that's probably because of a difference in the resistant starch content and then how that processing is changing the digestibility of the oats. Um, And so steel cut, because they're even thicker, are slightly better um, because they're they're not rolled first. They're just kind of chopped. And so they have slightly higher resistant starch, slightly higher beta-glucans, um, they seem to be uh, at least 
marginally better than old-fashioned oats in terms of butyrate production, not statistically significant. So either of those is a great choice. I, I can certainly tell you that I have both old-fashioned and steel-cut oats in my house. Agreed. We have them. It's just because they take longer. And that's why I was like, ooh, Instapot's a good idea. Try the Instapot. It's super great. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll uh, text you my, I don't remember. I think I do, it's like, I don't remember how long I do it for. I think I do it for like eight minutes with a 20 minute, um, like warming time after the pressure cooker actually stops. But I'll look that up and we'll put the actual, um, the actual like directions into the show notes because I can't remember exactly. Um, I haven't, I haven't made them in a, made them in like at least a month, which is kind of sad. And obviously a situation that needs to be fixed. Um, we, we have a recipe for that pumpkin oatmeal that I was talking about as a mm-hmm. reel on Instagram. I'll put the link in the show notes. Cause every time I make it, people are like, Oh my gosh, how do you make that? And I'm like, you just put a can of pumpkin in with your oatmeal. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really good to sweeten it with molasses or maple syrup, mm-hmm. as we talked about before, as well as being sweeteners with um, actual nutrients. So um, anyway, okay, so let's say we're at a place where we're, we're like, ooh, oats might work for me. How do I, how do I go about trying them out? Or in Anna's case, um, how does one go about testing how much is too much or is it you know what I mean like how does it feel good or not good or blah blah you know what I mean you know what I'm saying um I mean to answer the second part of the question first I mean Anna's already at a point where she knows that this food makes her feel good so the question is basically like look you know do take a food journal use an app that gives you vitamin and, and minerals um and not just macronutrients and see if you're hitting your nutrient targets for the day. And if you are, and you feel good, you're great. I mean, like there's, um, if you look at the studies that um, look at isolated sort of beta-glucan or look at oats with a normalized beta-glucan content, three to four grams of beta-glucan is sort of like that sweet spot for uh, the functional benefits. And that is roughly what you would get depending on exactly what oats you have from like 50 grams to hundred grams of oats, like a third of a cup to two thirds of a cup. It's not a, it's not a huge amount. I mean, it's a, it's a small bowl. Um, and so that's enough to be getting all of those benefits. Um, and if Can I ask a your, question? is yeah. that measurement before or after you add water? When you say, like a cup of oats, like a cup of dry oats is, I don't know, what, three cups once it's done? Because you're adding two to one usually. Oh, that's cooked. So like definitely, I think oats about double in volume when you cook them. So we're talking about like uh, a third of a cup cooked would be like two and a half tablespoons dry. So it's not. Yeah. Okay. That makes much yeah, more yeah. sense. Too. Um, but thank you for for bringing uh, my attention to that because that is an important distinction because you don't want to have to eat like a oats are so filling. I can't imagine eating like two, two thirds of a cup raw. Yeah. Which would be like, and it's like cup. the opposite of spinach, right? Like you can put three cups of spinach in a pan and then you're like, I now have one tablespoon. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I now have one bite of spinach. Uh, yes, that's, that's very, very true. Um, 
So yeah, so for Anna's case, I say just just have a look at whether or not you're meeting nutrition targets. And if you feel good with how much you're eating, then awesome. Um, for somebody who is progressing on their health journey and has listened to this and thought, you know what, I'm going to go and find a good quality oats and I'm definitely going to experiment with this. This is maybe something that I'm interested in adding back into my life. Um, you know, standard, you know, elimination and reintroduction protocol is, is what I would recommend. Um, for that to work, you need to have eliminated the food for at least two weeks and four is better. And that is because if you're going to have a food sensitivity reaction, you're basically down regulating um, all of the different sort of protective mechanisms that are restraining the reaction, uh, but testing the food while all of the mechanisms that are responsible for the reaction are still there. So you basically unmask a reaction that was always happening by taking away all of the mechanisms that constrain the reaction, but testing before the actual reaction itself starts to, to downregulate as well. So that's why um, when you do an elimination and challenge, it can feel like, oh my gosh, I've been eating this food for so long and I never reacted like this before. The whole point of the elimination and challenge diet is to magnify the reaction so it's really easy to identify. So standard protocol, you want to pick a day to test where you're not sick, you're not, you know, super stressed, you're feeling well, you slept okay, there's nothing weird out of the ordinary, and then you want to consume it. If you're worried about an allergy, you would take a very small amount, wait 20 minutes, consume a little bit more, wait an hour, consume a little bit more. If you're not concerned about an allergy and you're really just looking for sensitivity um, type symptoms, which would be more like GI symptoms mood effects, trouble sleeping, uh, skin changes, then you could just go all in and just have a serving. If you're worried about an allergy as well, though, go, go a little bit at a time because an allergy response can get really big really fast. And you definitely want to be able to stop as soon as any symptoms of a reaction start. Um, and for sensitivity reactions, they can take up to, you know, four or five days to manifest. So you want to not not add anything else into your diet over that four or five days while you sort of wait and see, uh, have I been grumpier than normal? Have I been getting headaches? Has my sleep been disrupted? Do I have any GI symptoms, any skin symptoms? If you have, um, chronic conditions that cause, you know, joint pain, right. Uh, uh, increase in symptoms, something like that. All of those can be a sign of a food sensitivity reaction. And if you're not sure, right, so I was fine on the day I tested it, but two days later when I had the headache, I didn't sleep well. I'm not sure if that's a reaction. Like hold tight, give, give yourself a, a week or two to kind of reset and then try again and see if it happens again. Um, sometimes mild reactions can be really tough to identify, especially when we really are excited about a food and we really want it to work for us. Um, it can be really easy to apply some denial to, to whatever side effects we're experiencing. And sometimes it's possible that you'll notice nothing on the challenge, but then you'll start to notice symptoms if you started to consume oats every day, for example, or, um, like one of the things that I told Stacy on a previous podcast is I think of oats as a sometimes food and that's because the oat quality is so important. So I seem fine with one degree oats. And I get stomachache with any other kind of oats. So I'm really, really careful about how often I eat them and what quality I have as a result. Um, so also keep an eye out for, you know, maybe it's the quality of the oats. 
Um, or maybe it's just a food that's okay as long as I eat them once a week. But if I'm going to eat them every day, I'm, it's going to have this like slow burn badness that's not going to be great. I think in general, I just find that variety works well for me. I, I've like known people. I had, a, I had a friend once who like had to have rice with every lunch and or dinner like they had like they had to and I remember them doing like a low carb thing and they were freaking out it was the first time in their life they'd never had rice before and I'm like touching my face when I say this because I'm just like remembering the whole thing and (laughs) just I think that my philosophy as a parent early on you know when the kids were baby babies um, and you're introducing foods and you know developing a palate to where I am today with teens and myself and all that kind of stuff is I just think that variety is really great and the more science that we look at the more that's being supported by you know the varieties of friends in our gut from the microbiome and in, you know what I mean all this stuff and I put um, emphasis on things that I know the gut really likes like mushrooms I try to always make sure we're having at least twice a week and seafood I try to make sure that we're having that several times a week whether it's you know and tuna that we're having for lunch or in um, splurging and getting sushi or most of the time we're just you know roasting or grilling or pan searing fish or you know whatever the Mm -hmm. case may be and I think that my approach to oats is the same even though I feel Like, I'm thinking of myself standing over the pot, stirring, waiting for the oatmeal and just being like really excited. And now I'm going to go make oats, right? I'm going to (laughs) just, I'm going to, but it's not something that I'm doing every day. And maybe my body would feel good with that. I don't know, but that's just not how I eat. So I can't speak to that. Like, you know what I mean? I make oatmeal. I don't know, maybe once every two weeks. And it's a large batch because there's six of us. So, you know, we make a lot and we usually have it for breakfast, maybe two or three days, depending on how many people are having leftovers or whatever. And then it's gone and, you know, we don't eat it for a while. And um, that works well for me because I don't have as many restrictions, for example, as Anna has to then also include things like cassava or you know different kinds of starches that have fibers or you know are things that I look to fill my family's plate and because I don't have those restrictions I don't know what it would be like to have it all the time and it's Mm -hmm. not something that I want either like I don't find myself often craving oats like now I I want that comforting bowl of oatmeal but um it's not it's it's not something like every day I'm like oh I wish I could have oatmeal but I had it yesterday no that's not that's not how my mind works (laughs) well I think I mean to me that that brings back another sort of key uh, property of a health promoting diet that we've talked about on the show approximately six million times which is variety So I think, you know, one of the things that's been really interesting to me as I build Nutrivore is thinking about foods in a a much more nuanced way and not wanting to apply red light, green light, or yes, no, or, you know, any of these types of labels onto foods and really instead think about what, what makes a healthy diet overall, right? And what, to me, right identifying your own triggers, obviously super important and understanding that not every food's going to work for every person. Um, that's a really important piece of it. 
the other piece is nutrient sufficiency, right? Getting all of the nutrients that your body needs from food. Um, but then there's this other piece, which is variety. There's been studies showing that, you know, eating 30 or more different plant foods in the week dramatically improves the gut microbiome compared to eating 10 or fewer. And if you look at the standard American diet, even if it's a varied diet, all of those different foods are made from the same like five or six different ingredients, right? It all sort of boils down to it's all wheat and corn and soy and vegetable oil. And, um, and so it's, even though it looks like it's more varied than it is, when you actually look at how many different plants are being represented with those foods, it's not very many different plants. And so I think, um, I think we do the same as we're expanding our diet and introducing some grains and some legumes, I'm still thinking about, you know, there's no food that's a daily food. There's no one thing. Okay. Coffee, coffee's daily, but there's no, there's no one food that I can say that I consume every single day because variety is, is so baked into my food priorities that even even when I find something that works really well for me, it works really well for me, and at most I'm going to eat it once a week. Yep. Could not agree more. I do want to mention, I don't know if you know this, but I've been doing meal plans for free on the blog from recipes that are all free online, either from you know my website or things that are from friends' website or Pinterest or whatever. And um, one of the things that I'm doing in those meal plans is ensuring that there's 30 or more varieties of vegetables. The one, oh, sweet. the one I did last week was 41. The one I did this week is 42. It's a lot easier in the summer than winter, I'll tell you that, because it is seasonal. And there's also a variety of proteins and healthy fats. So every week there's at least, you know, some seafood, beef, pork, and um, chicken. Like there's a variety of mm -hmm. those things. So if you're feeling like, oh, my gosh, I can't even. <laughs> um, I have a free resource. You're welcome to go pull on the blog at any time. I publish it every Monday. It's called Meal Plan Monday. So um, it doesn't have, there's no oats in any of them, I don't think. Most of the time, maybe there's like pasta, like I said, cassava pasta, because it's just dinners. Um, but I wanted to put that out there because you mentioned variety and yeah. we've talked about it before. And people felt really like overwhelmed when we talked about it on the show, but then I remember being like, oh, I actually counted and I got mostly there. And so I've just been more mindful and more intentional. And now I've gotten pretty good at like knowing as I put together a meal plan how to make adjustments and add more in and it's more natural for me. So do the work for you. Um, it's awesome. So Stacy, as we wrap up the show, I did totally pull my seal cut <laughs> oats recipe because I was like starting to second guess, like, what if I said something way off? And I totally did. So the recipe is two cups of steel cut oats to five to six cups of water. So if you like thicker porridge, five cups. If you like thinner porridge, six cups. I prefer six cups. That's the way I, that's the way I roll. And half a teaspoon of salt. You can scale up or down. It's pretty flexible. And then in the instant pot, it is four minutes on high pressure and then let the pressure naturally release for 15 minutes. Then stir. You can add whatever you know flavorings if you want to the whole thing um, or, or not. But that is my go-to for steel cut oats in the instant pot. Otherwise, again, yeah, it's like 25 minutes on the stovetop, which for me feels like way too long for breakfast. I'm going to try it, but... How do you think it would work with like half almond milk, half water? Because I prefer that texture and flavor. 
I think in the instant pot it would work great. It I would mean, work fine. it's not gonna. Like, yeah, it's not gonna issues. scald because it's an instant pot. Okay, and then I also like to put cinnamon in with the liquid because I feel like it infuses it into the better. oats. Well, yeah, it's like it infuses into the oats versus just kind of like sitting on the surface if you mix it in at the end. And mm-hmm. the other thing is cinnamon is really anti-inflammatory, and I I try to add it as much as possible because I feel. A difference when I do so when I do oats I try to like you know I'm like the chemist like putting as many <laughs> different like anti-inflammatory <laughs> different kinds of like things in there like yeah my digestion's gonna feel so good my joints are gonna feel so good um I just gave you an alarming presentation of what I look like when I'm cooking and if you could have seen <laughs> my hand gestures like it was even more embarrassing <laughs> little, than it sounded like evil evil we're back to the mcu yes and i was like i was like i was like using beakers to pour things in (laughs) (laughs) um okay i'll i'll experiment i'll let you know how it goes but (laughs) Uh, yeah i would think i would think that would be fine too um yeah i would so what i typically do is i just make it straight and then at the end i put in a little bit of ghee and a little bit of like maple syrup just just to add a hint of sweetness My kids don't know what sweet porridge is actually like, Um, but I add just a little bit. And um, yeah, I'm usually really popular when I make it like it's kind of it's kind of a special treat. Again, I feel like it's been too long. And obviously that is what this weekend's breakfast is going to entail. And while it feels like a special treat, now we've just visited how you can feel good about eating that if it feels good to you like it doesn't we don't need to have dogma around all the stuff and there's lots of ways that um that you can sweeten it without sweetener like I said I usually put like raisins or cranberries in mine and if you get a bite of a piece of fruit like if every bite has a piece of fruit it completely changes the balance of like how something tastes sweet or not or whatever and then you're adding all kinds of extra nutrients and like all kinds of good stuff to me it's it's a it's an everyday food, although we don't need it every day. <laughs> it's not like a oh, this is a special treat kind of thing. Usually my kids are like, Oh yay, mom's making oatmeal, but it's not like, you know, they're bounding down the stairs the way they would if I made like pancakes or something. So I feel like mine too. <laughs> I am as popular when I make oatmeal as when I make pancakes. I feel like spending some time with your kids would just really fill my soul with like the validation that I need of parenting because my kids are really all in this phase where we've spent a year and a half being quarantined together and anything that anybody does is just eye roll you know it's just it's all (laughs) eye roll so there's so many eyes being rolled in this house all the time with four teens and tweens like it's just like okay I get it you're 16 eyeballs however many (laughs) eight eyeballs like I get it say I'm gonna say we have our fair share of eye rolls in this house <laughs> there was uh one eye roll the other day that I was like did you see the back of your brain right there that was intense like it was all the eye roll and I can't even remember what triggered it something something really simple and normal that somehow triggered all of the teenage snark all in one eye roll all right, well, we're going to talk more about our children rolling their eyes at us over on Patreon. <laughs> um, if you enjoy this show free for you, this is a great way to support us. And we appreciate you being here. The best thing that you can do is share it with someone who you think might enjoy it and leave us a review. We will, as always, be back again next week. And we appreciate you 
submitting your questions and your comments um, because it helps us come up with topics. And um, thanks to Anna for her wonderful question. We want to be your friend as well and um, look forward to chatting soon. Oh gosh, that was that was awkward. You'd think we hadn't been doing this for <laughs> 47 years. <laughs> no, it's all good. Anna or Anna, however you pronounce your name. Yeah, we're besties. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Do you love the Whole View podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family. And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. But not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real, unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.